Are you ready for God's Word today? Grab your Bible, and you're going to have to be an expert with me today. I know spring break, spring forward, maybe we're a little groggy, uh, but we're going to go to two places in Scripture. So if you want to go to John chapter 6 and Ezekiel chapter 34, John 6 and Ezekiel 34. Now, I have to warn you, today is one of those messages where we're going to, we're going to like, there's a lot of Scripture. We're going to go through a lot of Scripture, but we're going to understand it together because we're in this series called the Bible Series, everybody. And we've been talking about the Bible and really from some different perspectives or different angles, meaning we started with, how do you know you can trust the Bible? Like every message has kind of been a question. I think our culture, what we know is the Word of God has been under attack since Genesis chapter 3. What Satan knows, if he can steal the Word or undermine the authority of God's Word in our life, then we don't have a North Star, if you will. Once the Word of God is undermined, we don't have absolute truth anymore, right? And in our culture, in that what's happening? We have relativism, right? Postmodernism. The truth is whatever I feel. The truth is, no, whatever you feel, that could be pizza. The truth is what the Word of God says, right? You know what I mean? You could have had something bad to eat and have a feeling, you know what I'm saying? But our whole, our whole culture is hooked on a feeling. Um, and we said, man, we need a North Star in the Word of God. We can trust the Word of God. It's historically accurate, prophetically accurate, scientifically accurate. We talked about all of that. We talked about where the Bible came from. We talked about how the Bible is the inspired Word of God and what that means. So we talked about the scope. We talked about the canon or what it means, what the canon, what canon means and what it is, the canonical record of Scripture. And so we're, we're coming at this really to give you some information so that you know when we're opening the Bible, it's all the Word of God, like all Scripture is breathed by God, and we can build our life on every part, and that the enemy is. He's going to come and bring questions. And we also said sometimes in the Bible there are things we don't understand, and what that means when there's something in the Bible you don't understand, here's what that means. It means you don't understand. It doesn't mean the Bible's not accurate or it's not true, right? It just means we don't understand. And that's where we apply our heart, like Proverbs 2 says, to a wisdom, and we cry out for understanding. And so um, last week, we talked about how to study the Bible, how to study the Bible. And if you missed that, I encourage you to go back and listen, not because I preached the message, but because essentially what I did is I took a seminary class on how to exegetically study the Bible and put it in about 50 minutes and if you apply that, it will help you understand the Bible. And, and, and here's what we need to understand, number one, and remember this was kind of the big idea, we don't need to just read the Bible, we need to study the Bible, and those aren't the same thing. And so we talked about how we talked about studying the Bible this week. Here's the question I want to answer this week is, how do you understand the Bible? So now that we're studying it, Pastor, I'm, I'm studying it, and I'm kind of doing what you're, we're saying, but how do I understand it? Remember what we said last week, we talked about these two $3 seminary words called exegetical and eisegetical study, or to exegete or eisegete a passage. And what we said is we always want want to be on the exegetical side because exegete means to extract or to pull the meaning out of, or when it's the Bible, to pull the truth out of. Eisegetical study or eisegete means we kind of read into it what we want. And there's a lot of culture that starts with how we feel and what we want. And then we get on Google and just try to find a verse that validates, verifies, or confirms what we want or what we feel. And that's not how we study the Bible. When you look at how to exegetically study the Bible, categorically, there are different types of exegetical study. So there's historical exegesis, um, there's cultural exegesis, uh, there's allegorical exegesis, 
There's relevatory exegesis. Some theologians don't, uh, don't really like this one because it does open up you know, a can of worms in a way, but I do because revelatory exegesis is just what is what is the Bible saying to me? In other words, what's God saying to me through his word today? And there's a way you can responsibly handle that. Does that make sense? And the way you do that is really um, through studying the Bible as a whole uh, or what we would say, and I just went blank on the word that I wanted to use. Um, it'll come back to me in a minute, but... Um, but it's essentially, when we exegete the Bible or exegete a passage, you want to look at, it's a C word. It'll come to me. <laughs> Y'all just pray for me. But basically, you want to look at it in the context, not context, but in the context of the whole world, in the whole word of God across all the Bible, um, so that whatever I'm studying is consistent from Genesis to Revelation. What we need to remember when we're trying to understand the Bible, while we're trying to study the Bible, what we need to remember is that it, it was, yes, we say penned by some say 39, some say 40 different men over 1,500 years, etc. And it's 66 books we say. Truthfully, we need to understand it has one author and it's actually one book. So when we study the Bible, we don't want to look at it part by part. You do, but you want to look at each part in the context. Cohesive exegete. There it is. Woo! Holy Spirit's moving right there. If God can use a donkey, somebody, praise the Lord. There's hope for us all. Cohesive exegesis is where we make, we make sure that whatever we're understanding is congruent all the way through the Bible, that I'm not just getting something over here that's not making sense over here because this is what we said last week, remember? The Bible interprets the Bible. We need to let the Bible interpret the Bible. And when I don't understand the Bible, the place I want to start is the Bible. So if there's something I'm not understanding, I want to find it in other places of the Bible. And so if I can use the Bible to interpret the Bible. So today, so here's what we want to understand. Big concept today. It is actually one book with one author. And when we, when we exegete it, we want it to be cohesive exegesis, which is congruent Genesis to Revelation. Everybody understand that? So that's where we want to start. And so now with that, let's go to John chapter 6. And Jesus gives us a, a huge key on understanding the Bible. John chapter 6, verse 60, it says, When many of his disciples heard it, they said, This is a hard saying. Time out, time out. Because what was a hard saying and what was going on? In John chapter 6, Jesus was doing good, y'all. He was doing good. Uh, in fact, his following was growing. His Insta was blowing up. People were on his TikTok. I mean, he was doing good. And then he came out with a new series. And the series was called Eat My Flesh and Drink My Blood. And he started preaching and telling people, if you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can have no part in the kingdom of God. You can have no part with me. And people were like, this is a hard thing. And they started leaving. And the disciples kind of pulled him aside, and probably Peter, you know, because usually Peter would talk and then think. And I understand that because a lot of times I talk and then think. And Peter's like, you know, Jesus, we were doing good here. I mean, we're on our way to a book deal. <laughs> and then you had to unleash this crazy cannibal teaching. And people are leaving, you know. And even Jesus looks at him and he says, well, are you going to leave too? He tells his followers. And they said, and Peter, wis wisdom, this is wisdom. Peter said, well, where else would we go? Only you have the words of life. It's incredible. But look at what Jesus says. So there's a hard saying. 
And they said, who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling, said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending where he was before? Now look at verse 63. It's going to be a huge key for us today. It is the Spirit who gives flesh, or gives life, sorry. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. Spirit and life. So how do you understand the Bible? We're going to read it. We're going to study it together. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we need your help. God, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to perceive. We want to understand your word. And so, God, as we open your word today, open our hearts, open our minds, and help us. God, give us truth and wisdom. Give us understanding in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. So he said, so two things he there. He said, this flesh is no help at all. And then he says this. He says this, the words that I have spoken are spirit and they are life, spirit and life. So three things. We'll, we'll take notes. If you're writing this down, then, you know, write it down. If you're not taking notes, write it down. You know, get a sharpie, put it on your hand. It'll probably help you, you know. Uh, but number one, this is, this is where we have to start. You have to understand the Bible is a spiritual book. This is a spiritual book. Here's what he said. The flesh is no help at all. And he said, here's why. Because the words I have spoken, they are spirit and they are life. And you need to understand when we interpret the Bible many times, and I'm not saying, you know, understand what I'm saying. I'm not saying you don't use your brain. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying when we want to understand the Bible, we need to understand first that the Bible is not a normal book. It's not a natural book. You don't approach it the way you approach great works of literary, you know, great literary works or even great fictional works. Listen, you don't read the Bible the same way you read Harry Potter, everybody, right? You, you don't approach it that way. Why? Because it's a spiritual book with spiritual words. We need to understand this. We see this in John chapter 4. Jesus tells us this. It's the encounter with the woman at the well. John chapter 4, verse 24 and he says this, very simply, God is spirit. God is spirit. And those that worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. But here's what he said, God is spirit. Now, I know the Bible uh, kind of attributes or, or speaks uh, anthropomorphically about God. That's just a big word, you know, to wake you up. But all that means is that the Bible will talk about God having hands or God having eyes. But truthfully, God is not flesh, right? God's not actually human, God is spirit, right? That's what Jesus said, God is spirit. But when, when God is revealing himself, he wants us to understand he can touch us. And he wants us to understand that he does see us. So the Bible, so he puts it in language that we understand that he's a loving father and that he speaks and that he hears with his ear, that his arm is not short, that he can't reach out and touch you. It's, I like old King James, his ear isn't heavy. In other words, he's not hard of hearing everybody. When we cry out, he hears us. So it uses some language to help us understand that. But ultimately, we need to understand God is spirit. You also need to understand this, your spirit. You are spirit. In fact, Hebrews 12, 23 says, to the general assembly and the church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God, the judge of all, to the spirits, talking about us, to the spirits of just men made perfect. We are body, soul, and spirit. In fact, we are more spirit than anything else. In fact, man was not alive until God breathed or put a spirit in us. 
Are you with me? So we are actually spiritual people, and that's why eternity really matters. And when we receive eternal life, when we were saved in that moment, we received eternal life. And that is life, not just talking about the quantity, meaning forever, but the quality. It's the life of God. It's the power of God. It's the resurrecting resurrecting power of God. So we are spiritual people, and that's why we don't die. That's why you spend eternity either in heaven or you spend eternity in hell. Why? Because you're spiritual people. We need to understand that we are not physical people that will someday have a spiritual experience. But according to the word of God, we are spiritual beings that are temporarily having a physical experience. Did you hear what I just said? We are actually eternal spiritual beings that are currently having a temporary physical experience, right? And so you need to understand God is spirit and we are spirit. So then when we talk about the Bible, then the Bible is spirit. Jesus said, these words, these words are spirit. So here's where we have to start when we want to understand the Bible. I have to understand the Bible was is a spiritual book written by a spiritual being to spiritual beings, right? So the Bible is a spiritual book. It's spiritual words written by a spiritual being to spiritual beings. And if I'm going to understand, like first John says it in First John, but he says, today we don't need a teacher. I used to quote that in Bible school. They would say, do you have a verse? Because sometimes the teacher would say, you know, the professor, I guess, more accurate, you know, uh, Dr. Harden. I didn't like Dr. Harden at all. He just was grumpy. He just was grumpy all the time. And I was taking the Romans from him. And it was the book of Romans. And I love the book of Romans, but it's hard to take the book of Romans from somebody that's just not happy to breathe. And I'm like, brother, we need to, you need to teach Philippians about the joy of the Lord. You know, you, we need to turn to Nehemiah, Nehemiah and talk about the joy of the Lord being your strength. Because you got to find some joy, brother. Nevertheless, Dr. Harden, so I, you know, I pushed the envelope. Anyways, Dr. Harden said, does anybody have a verse for the day? Yes. I said, yes, I have a verse. It's 1 John. I can't remember now what it was, chapter 1 or chapter 2, verse 13. It says, I have no need of an instructor today because the anointing I've received from God instructs me. Mr. Harden, Dr. Harden, can we be dismissed? That was a rough class for me the rest of the semester, everybody. It was a rough class. Dr. Harden never liked me again. I don't think he liked me before. I don't think I was gambling with much. You know what I'm saying? It's not like we were buddies. But anyways, the point is that John says is that the Holy Spirit teaches us. Why? Because the Holy Spirit spirit, and the Bible spirit, and God's spirit, and we're spirit, and the Holy Spirit is who we need to interpret the Bible, right? And so, so we need the Holy Spirit. So, so, <laughs> so... It's spiritual. Now, here's where it's going to get fun. All right, here's where it's going to get fun because I'm about to show you some spiritual symbols in the Bible. Now, some you know, some you may not know, but we're going to have fun together and we're going to find the message together and the meaning together. And so write this down. Number one, number, number one the Bible's a, a spiritual book. Number two, it reveals a spiritual enemy. It reveals a spiritual enemy. Now, if when we talk about spiritual symbols, so you know I'm not weird and we're not going to play the do 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 do. You already believe in spiritual symbols. 
right? Psalm 100 verse 3 says that we are the sheep of his pasture. So what's that saying that we are? What is kind of the, the analogy, if you will, or the comparison? You know, what, what, what are we then in the Bible? The Bible calls us what? Sheep. We're sheep. Right. So so you kind of already believe in symbols. And a lot of times we talk about when the Holy Spirit with Bible can talk about the Holy Spirit and may talk about oil or it could talk about wind or it could talk about fire. A lot of times we know we interpret those things as meaning, oh, this could be the work of the Holy Spirit. Right. So so you believe in symbols. So we're going to look at some together. Ezekiel 34, if you're there, verse one, it says, and the word of the Lord came to me saying, son of man, prophesy against the, the shepherds. Time out. When it's saying shepherds, is Ezekiel talking about men with sticks and dresses out among animals? Is that what he's talking about? Is he mad at the, at the guys that are out there in their robes with their staff and they're among the animals and he's like, they're not doing good with those animals. Is that what God's upset about? No. Who is he upset with? Who are shepherds? Pastors, church leaders. Those who are supposed to lead spiritually. So Ezekiel is not prophesying against literal shepherds because they're not tending the literal sheep. No, God is upset because the people he has anointed and called to lead his people are not doing some things, right? So in the Bible, we said sheep is what? That's us right? And we said shepherds are what? Pastors, spiritual leaders, right? Shepherds, right? So let's find out what's, what, what God's saying here. Prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord to the shepherds, woe to you shepherds of Israel who feed themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flocks? So he said, number one, shepherds need to make sure they're feeding the flocks, right? This, by the way, people wonder, you know, sometimes like, pastor, what's, what's your job? What's it like? We decided when we started the church, I took this very seriously. And I said, I'm going to stand before God one day and I want to make sure that I fed good food. Good. Essentially, I'm, I'm kind of like, you know, it's not hell's kitchen. It's like heaven's kitchen, everybody. You understand what I'm saying, right? <laughs> I'm not Dave Ramsey. I'm Marty, but you know what I'm saying? Are you with me? Because I see here, God's like, hey, if I anoint you to, to, if I anoint you to cook spiritually, you better get in the kitchen and cook something spiritually. And that's why in my own world, I never think I can have an off Sunday. I never think I can mail it in. I always think I need to study and I need to understand God's word. And if I show up, I'm going to show up to preach my Here's what I can tell you. I'm going to preach the very best I can preach every weekend because I know in the end, God's going to hold me accountable for everything I said. Are you with me? It's very serious. Sometimes people say, well, Pastor, you preach a long time. I'm like, I just want to make sure everybody can get all they can eat. Amen. Are you with me? So he says, they, they've not fed the flocks. Verse three, you eat the fat and clothe yourselves with wool. You slaughter the fatlings, but you don't feed the flock. Now, verse four actually gives us the five ministries of Jesus. We can see this Luke 4, Isaiah 63 as well. But the five ministries of Jesus is the weak you have not strengthened. That's the baptism with the Holy Spirit. Nor have you healed those who are sick. That's healing. Nor bound up the brokenhearted or bound up the broken. We see that in Luke 4 is the brokenhearted. That's inner healing. We call it freedom ministry. 
nor brought back those who were driven away. In other words, they were taken captive, so that's deliverance. Nor sought what was lost. Jesus said, you know, we, we go to reach the lost, the lost sheep of Israel, right? So that's evangelism or salvation. There's five, five ministries of Jesus, but what he's saying, if you're anointed to be a shepherd, you better be doing what Jesus is anointed to do. Are you with me? Then verse 5, so they were scattered. Who was scattered? The sheep. Because there was no shepherd. And they became food for all the beasts of the field when they were scattered. Now, did you see that phrase, they became food for who? Beast of the field. Well, who are the beast of the field? See, now, here's what's interesting about us sometimes. When we say, woe to the shepherds, who's that pastor? That's pastors and spiritual leaders. Absolutely. Who are the sheep? Well, that's the people of God. Absolutely. Well, who are the beasts of the field? That's the lions, tigers, and bears. Oh, my. No. No, if shepherds are pastors, if sheep are people, what are beasts of the field? Well, to find out, if you want to, we can go to Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Because believe it or not, that actually will help us understand who the beasts of the field are. Genesis 3, verse 1, it says this. Look at this. Genesis 3, verse 1, it says, Now the serpent, time out. Who's the serpent? Well, how do we know? Well, they told me that in Sunday school. That's good. But if you want to understand the Bible and you're looking for symbols in the Bible, you need chapter, you know, book, chapter, and verse. So if I want to know who the serpent is, I can go to a concordance and put serpent studied all the way through the Bible. I would get to Revelation. One of the verses I'd come to is Revelation verse 12, verse 9, Revelation chapter 12, verse 9. In fact, we have it here. I did the work for you. Revelation 12, 9 says, now the great dragon, now who's the dragon? Well, I don't know. I got to keep reading. The great dragon was cast out. That serpent, well, the dragon is the serpent. Okay, well, that's helpful. So the great dragon was cast out, the serpent of old, called the devil and Satan. So now I know that if the Bible, because remember, it's one author and one book. So if serpent is the devil in Revelation, then serpent is the devil in Genesis. Are you with me? Because one author. Are you with me? Do you understand? And if dragon is Satan in Revelation, then if I find dragon somewhere else, it's probably Satan. So now I know that when the Bible says, according to Revelation 12, 9, when the Bible says serpent, it's telling me that's Satan or the devil. It also tells me, by the way, who deceives the whole world. So it tells me what Satan does is he deceives. Are, are you with me? So now I can go back to Genesis 3 because, thank the Lord, I know who the serpent is now. So now it says this. So look at this, Genesis 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more cunning, look at this, than any beast of the field. What's that saying, that he's smarter than the monkey? Huh? Is that saying that he's more crafty than the wildebeest? No. It's saying out of all the demons, he was the most crafty, cunning, and deceitful. Do you see that? Because it's right there, the beast of the field. He was the most cunning of any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. Well, we know all angels were created by God, right? We know, we'll see in a minute, but, but we know when Satan rebelled against God, we theologians believe because there's a verse in Revelation that a third of the stars fell. And so it's believed that a third of the angels fell or rebelled with Satan, and that's where we get demons, 
Now, it's all in the Bible. We don't have time to go through it all together. But what we're trying to understand is what are symbols? Well, the beast of the field. So now if I look back at Ezekiel, oh, time out. Wait a second. Do you see what Ezekiel just said? Why is God so mad at the shepherds? Because they don't preach good? He's like, no, I'm mad because if shepherds don't feed, my sheep will be destroyed by the beast of the field. He's mad because his sheep are being taken captive. Right? What was it? He went through the five ministries of Jesus. They're being taken captive. They're being sick and beat up and beat down. Right? They're, they're not full of the presence of God. Like, I mean, you could apply that. So why is God so upset with the shepherds? Well, not because they don't, they're not doing a good job shearing sheep or taking care of sheep or helping them find pasture. No, they're not. The, the pastors, because they're not teaching the people the word of God, the demons are having their way with them. And destroying them. And that's why it's such a great warning or a grave warning for shepherds. But I'm going to flip it around just a second. Because I told you a minute ago, I'm never going to show up and not be ready to feed. My question is, are you going to show up and be ready to eat? Because I'm going to answer to God for whether I put out a good buffet every weekend. You're going to answer to God whether you showed up and ate it. Because you know what? What this says is without eating the Word of God, without feasting on the Word of God, you're going to fall prey. In fact, you're going to become food for the beast of the field. Do you see that? So there's two warnings here. Yes, I think the, the stricter, war, the harsher warning, if you will, is definitely for the shepherds. That's why I don't get up and have something inspirational and tell you jokes and stories and we leave. That's why we go scripture and verse and chapter and book. Why? Because I know I'm going to stand for God and he's not impressed with all my stories, but he really loves his word. But the warning is also for sheep because we're living in a day. Listen, we're living in a day where the average church tender goes once every four to five weeks, according to Barna. Here's what I want you to understand. You will never be victorious, whether it's in your family, in your marriage, in your business, wherever it is. You're never going to live victoriously if you only eat about once a month. Are, are you with me? Are you breathing? And what this says, if you don't eat enough, we're malnourished. We're going to fall prey and become food for what? The beast of the field. The beast of the field. Hmm. Look at Mark 1. Here's another one just to show you. But Mark 1, let me ask you a question. If you were Satan and you were going to, you knew Jesus was the Son of God and you were going to go do a, you know, basically engage in spiritual warfare against the Son of God, let me ask you this. Would you go by yourself? Do you know we find the answer here? Mark 1.13. And it says, and he was there. That's Jesus was in the wilderness 40 days tempted by Satan and was with the wild beasts. In other words, same thing. It's right there. In other words, when Satan came to to attack or, or engage in spiritual warfare with Jesus, he didn't come by himself. I mean, yes, you could read that and say, well, Jesus was out in the wilderness with lions and tigers and bears. Oh, my. You know. But no, no, no. Satan said, no, I'm taking an army because this is the battle I need to win right here. I'm taking an army. But do you see that? Here's, here, here we go. Here's another symbol. You ready for another one? Mark 4, verse 1. 
Mark 4, 4, verse 1, And again he began to teach by the sea, and a great multitude was gathered. Obviously this is Jesus. So he got in a boat, and he sat on the sea, and the whole multitude was on the land facing the sea, and he taught them many things by parables and said to them in his teaching. So here comes the parable. This is known as the parable of the sower, by the way. Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and it happened as he sowed that some seed fell fell among the wayside or fell on the wayside, and the birds of the air came and devoured it. And some fell on stony ground. It didn't have much earth. It sprang up, but because there was no depth, of earth. Uh, the sun scorched it and it had no root. It withered away. Verse 7, some fell among thorns. It grew up, but the thorns choked it out. Verse 8, the other seed fell on the ground and yielded a crop. It fell on good ground. I'm sorry, we need to make sure we fell on good ground and yielded a crop that sprang up, increased and produced some 30, some 60, and some 100 fold. And he said, he who has ears, look at this. He said, he who has ears, let him hear. I got a question. That's kind of a weird thing to say, isn't it? If I was just talking, I said, now he who has ears, let him hear. Do you think maybe Jesus was there and there were some people that didn't have physical ears and some people that did have physical ears? And he said, I understand some of you don't have physical ears, so you can't hear me. You're just seeing my lips move. But if you have physical ears, I want you to really hear. Do y'all think that's what it was? Or do you think he was talking about spiritually? Because he was speaking words that were spirit. Are you with me? But wasn't it interesting? You've read this parable before. You've heard it preached. I know I've preached on it. I think Pastor Mark preached on it once, I remember. You've heard this parable before. Um, and it said on that first that the, ski, the, the seed was scattered and then it was eaten by the birds of the air. Right? The birds of the air. wonder what that is. Well, luckily, if we go down, after he teaches the multitude, the disciples couldn't understand and they asked him, And he actually explains the parable later in the chapter, verse 14 of Mark chapter 4. He said, the sower sows the word. So now we know the seed is the word. Now, most people know that. We know that because Jesus tells us, the Bible tells us. So when he said seed, he's actually saying the word of God. And he said, these are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. So he just told us a few things. He told us that the seed is the word. The soil is actually our heart. The, can, the seed will do what the seed does. The soil is what makes the difference. And the more we cultivate the soil of our heart, the more harvest or the more fruit the word of God is going to produce. That's, I mean, he just told us a lot. But did you see what he said? He said, Satan came and stole the seed. So interesting that here he calls it Satan, but in the parable he says the birds of the air. Birds of the air. So we just found another symbol that if the Bible says birds of the air, it's talking about the work of the enemy. You see that? By the way, this happens every weekend. It could be happening right now. Right now someone's watching online and the word of God is going out, but they're distracted by their cup of coffee. Or the dog needs to be let out or something like that. Right now there's someone in the room and right now they're trying, leaning in, wanting to hear the word of God, but someone's DMing on Instagram. Right? It happens all the time. Or we're thinking about a meeting or we're thinking about lunch. We're like, man, I'm kind of hungry. You know, and what, what, what's happening? The enemy is stealing the word right out from it. Because he does, he's like, here's, you know what the enemy, he doesn't mind if you're in a place where the word is being thrown out. He just minds if it gets in your heart. All he has to do is intercept it. Come on, somebody. All he has to do is keep it from getting in our heart. What, what, well, what are we learning? And we're going to come back to these symbols in just a second and point three. But what are we learning here? Here's what we're learning. We have a spiritual enemy. Do you see that? 
we have a spiritual enemy, and the Bible explains not only who he is, but how he works. That's why Paul can say something like, we shouldn't be ignorant of the enemy's devices, right? I was meeting with a couple not too long ago, and it became very clear that the problem they had was not the problem they thought they had. The problem they had was that they continued to listen to gossip. And, and my thought was, we're not ignorant of the enemy's devices. If you want to have peace, stop listening to gossip. Because this is how the enemy works. And I can show you the things that God abhors in the Bible, and dissension and discord and disunity. All those things happen when we gossip. Oh, y'all would rather I talk about homosexuality or something, right? This is a, like, let's, let's, can we talk about something we don't do? I'm that way when someone's preaching. I'm like, preach on the sin I've never committed. Like, I've never murdered anybody yet. Preach on that one. Notice I said, yeah, praise the Lord. <laughs> okay, let's get the Bible again. Okay, Jesus. <laughs> Number three, everybody. Number three. So it's a spiritual book. We have a spiritual enemy. Number three, but it empowers. You could even say this. It prophesies a spiritual victory. All right, here we go. We're going to go. Y'all want to go a little deeper? I know it's like spring forward, spring break, and I'm making your brain work on it. It's just mean, isn't it? Daniel chapter 4, because everybody loves a good reading from Daniel. In Daniel chapter 4, you know what's going on is King Nebuchadnezzar's Instagram would have been Nebi. Um, <laughs> King Nebuchadnezzar had this dream, and he dreamed about this tree and these birds and these animals and all this stuff, and he can't interpret the dream. And so Daniel comes, and Daniel could interpret the dream. Why? Because the dream came from God, thus it was God's words, it was spirit, and Daniel was anointed by the Holy Spirit. So it was a spiritual being giving spiritual messages, and it needed a spiritual person to understand it. Are you with me? Same principle, just in the Old Testament. So he has this dream about this tree. And so let me give you, I'm going to help you. So in the dream, he has the picture of this tree. And Daniel comes and he says, the tree is you, King Nebuchadnezzar, and Babylon. Okay, so he says, the, the tree is you and Babylon. Well, what is Babylon in the Bible? Well, most people say it's a worldly system. And that's accurate, but it's a little bit deeper. You know what Babylon really represents in the Bible? A worldly church. And here's why. Because when Israel was taken into captivity for 70 years into Babylon, they were exiled to Babylon for 70 years. It was prophesied, I'm going to read it in just a minute by Isaiah, because he was prophesying in this time. But it was prophesied, essentially, that, that the large part, in fact, 90% of God's people would choose to stay in Babylon, and only 10% would come back to God's land, if you will, or to their land. And so it was prophesied, essentially, there'd only be a remnant that returned. And that actually had, in fact, Isaiah was saying, you know, a hundred are going to go, ten are going to come back, a thousand is going to go, a hundred is going to come back. And it actually happened that way. When they were released 70 years after captivity, or after 70 years of captivity, when they're finally released, only 10% of God's people come back to what we would call the promised land, everybody, right, to Israel. And so um, in Daniel chapter 2, 4 verse 10 it says these were the visions in my head this Nebuchadnezzar while on my bed I was looking behold a tree in the midst of the earth and its height was great the tree grew and became strong its height reached the heavens and it could be seen to the ends of the earth its leaves were lovely its fruit was abundant and it was food for all now look look at this look at this interesting 
The beast of the field found shade under it. The birds of the heaven dwelt in its branches. And all flesh, notice flesh, not spirit, all flesh fed from it. I saw in the visions of my head while on the bed, and there was a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven. Wonder who that be. He cried aloud and said, Thus chop down the tree and cut off its branches, strip it of its leaves, scatter its fruit, let the beast get out from under it, and the birds from its branches. Nevertheless, leave the stump. Now, what's he talking about right there? Essentially, here's what he's talking about. He's talking about that his people are going to go be influenced by the world, and they're going to become so worldly, he's going to cut it all down, except he's going to leave a remnant of true believers. He's going to leave a stump. That, that's what he's saying. By the way, you've heard me say this, but sometimes I think contextually you could apply this to the world in which we live in because we live in a day where Christianity, especially in the Western world, not so much in the Eastern world, in the Western world, Christianity has become so popular, but a lot of your pop Christianity is not really biblical. It's really postmodern Christianity where it's all affirming of feelings. And I don't know if you know this. If you've ever read the Bible, you know God doesn't affirm a lot of our feelings. He affirms that we have them. Uh-huh. <laughs> right? Because what does he say? Well, the mind that's ruled by the flesh is an enemy of God. He doesn't care what you're feeling. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You know? Like, if you live by the flesh, you know, you're going to die. But if you live by the Spirit, you're going to have life and peace. In other words, God's saying, don't live by your feelings. You're going to die that way. So God's not very affirm. He affirms you have feelings. He's not affirming of all your feelings. Okay, well, that was good preaching. Thank you. Doing my best. So Isaiah's prophesying about this same remnant. By the way, funny factoid here about Isaiah, because everybody knows the famous sermon. You've heard it preached where Isaiah said, Here I am, Lord, send me. Y'all remember that one? Do you know right after that, God says, Well, you're going to have to prophesy, and you know there's only going to be a remnant, and they're not going to listen. You know what Isaiah says next? Lord, how long do I have to go? It's kind of funny to me. He's like, Lord, here I am, send me. And God's like, here's what it's going to look like. And he's like, dear Lord, how long I got to preach this revival? Lord Jesus. But look what Isaiah says, Isaiah 6, 13. It says, but yet a tenth, see, here we go. There's your tenth. There's your 10%. We'll be in it and we'll return and be for consuming as a, as a terebinth tree or as an oak whose stump, there's the remnant, remains when it's cut down. So the holy seed will be its stump. Look at Ezekiel 31, 6, talking about the same. All the birds of the heavens, talking about a worldly church. All the birds of the heavens made their nest in its boughs. Under its branches, all the beasts of the field. Now, this is exactly um, what Daniel was saying. Exactly the same thing about the birds and the branches and the beasts of the field brought forth their young. And in its shadow, all great nations became or, or made their home. In other words, it's popular with everybody. Everybody said, yeah, we like the good stuff. Now, here's what I said, the birds of the air. Now, what did we say the birds of the air was? See, I, you know, I know some people are thinking, well, Pastor, we've known for a long time the devil's trying to get into the church. In fact, Psalm 74, Psalm 74 says the, de the enemy has damaged everything in the sanctuary. Well, everybody, what's the sanctuary? Somebody got it. I thought somebody would say the church. No. Where's the sanctuary? Right? And what did he say? He said, the birds of the air are going to make their home where? In the branches. And the beasts of the field, where are they going to go? They're going to get in the shadows of the branches. Now, wouldn't it be great if we had a verse in the Bible that told us what branches were? Like John 15, verse 5. 
I am the vine and you are the... Here's some news for you. The enemy would love to build a nest in your brain. He would love to set up camp in your house and the wild beast would love to get under the shade of your carport and hang out there. Do you understand what I'm saying? The Bible is telling us what? We have a spiritual enemy and he is trying to damage everything in the sanctuary. This is why we have freedom ministry. This is why we have course. Why we have next steps. It's because we know you have a spiritual enemy but we know God has promised spiritual victory and our job is to help you overcome the enemy and walk in victory, everybody. Yeah, that's right. That's right. One more here, Revelation 18, verse one. After these things, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority and the earth was illuminated with his glory and he cried mightily with a loud voice saying, Babylon, the greatest fall. In other words, God is gonna deal with a worldly church, but there's gonna be this stump of a remnant of true believers that remain. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's the whole, and from start to finish, one author, one book, and it says it's, he's become a, it has become a dwelling place of demons and a prison for every foul spirit and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. Look at that. Here we go again. Demons, foul spirit, birds. See that? Then we look at Revelation 9, 3. It says, then out of the smoke, locusts came upon the earth. I have to stop here because I've heard, I saw this on TV. There was a guy for the longest time selling tapes and books and all that. And he was talking about the locusts in Revelation. He's saying, these are the Apache helicopters. <laughs> this swarm of locusts is actually the helicopters. And he had all this explanation. I remember watching that as a kid thinking, I don't know what that means, but I don't think that means what he thinks it means. But I mean, he was selling his, you know, food meals and his books, and we were getting ready for the invasion of the Apache helicopters. Well, if you actually read the Bible, it tells you right here. If you understand, now I'm going to help you, but if you understand, it says, out of the smoke, locusts came up on the earth, and them, and to them was given power as scorpions. Now, in a minute, I didn't do it now, but in a minute, I'm going to show you a verse about what scorpions are, but let me just skip to the end. It's the enemy. So if I know, because Jesus actually tells me what scorpions are, and if I know what Jesus says scorpions are, then when it says locusts are given power like scorpions, I know this is just another attack of the enemy. Are you with me? And they're commanded, but look at verse four. Look at verse four. You're like, I'm trying. They were commanded not to harm the grass of the earth or any green thing or any tree, but only those men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. So here comes the enemy and they have freedom to harm with exception. And the exception is, let me categorically bullet down, they can't harm green things or trees. Now, what if I had a verse telling me what green trees were? Like maybe Psalm chapter one, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, nor, nor basically hangs out with sinners, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in the law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree planted by the streams of living water. And essentially the next two lines explain it's an evergreen tree. It's always green, always bearing fruit. Here's what this is telling me. When the enemy is given authority to go and attack, here's who he can't attack. People who meditate on the word of God. Here's who wins. People who meditate and feed on the word of God. They live victorious when everyone else falls prey. Are you seeing that? 
All right, one more, and then I promise we're done. I got 50 seconds, everybody. Luke, do you feel like you've eaten good today? Luke 10, 17. Now look at this. Then the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Powerful verse. Now, one thing I want to point out is it said the 70 returned. A lot of people will, will contextualize this verse and they'll say, well, God, or Jesus gave authority to what we would call the apostles, meaning the 12, right? But I want you to know we're talking about 70, meaning he sent the 12 out with authority. They came back and then he sent 70 out. Well, who were the 70? They were disciples. And we know he sent out more than them. So in other words, this is now talking about me because I'm a disciple and it's talking about you because this disciple is not talking about an apostle because we're talking about 70 and there weren't 70 apostles. Are you with me? So they said, Lord, even the demons are subject just to your name. And here's what he said. I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. In other words, you said, that's not that impressive, boys. It's really not that big a deal. Yes, it's awesome, but it's not that big a deal. He's like, I was there when Satan rose up and that battle lasted almost a millisecond. And I saw Satan fall like lightning. And here's what, here's what I want you to understand. And here's what Jesus is telling us right here. And we're going to read it. But you need to understand God and Satan are not equals. Satan and Jesus are not equals. And you need to understand you and Satan are not equals. He is actually subject to you. I'm about to read it. But I just want to prepare you because a lot of times, listen, Satan has as much power as you believe he has, and he can do as much as you'll let him do. Well, let me read it to you. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning. In verse 19, behold, I give you authority, legal right, to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by many, any means harm you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather that your names are written in heaven. In other words, Jesus said, this is the big thing, that you've been born again. The authority over demons, that just comes with being born again. Do you see what I'm saying? But look what he said, because some people say, well, this, he didn't say we had authority over demons. In fact, some people say, well, there aren't any demons anymore. Really smart people. And I would say, well, you haven't read the Bible. A lot of Jesus' ministry was about, well, the, all the demons went away, at, you know, post-apostolic timeline, you know. I'm like, well, can you show me that in the Bible? Because I, I want a book, chapter, and verse if you're telling me all the demons went away. Because what I can show you in the Bible is that they're very much active. They are going to be tied up for a thousand years in the millennial reign of Christ, according to the Bible. Then they're going to be loosed again. Then they're going to be destroyed. That's the, time, that's, that's the life expectancy of the demons, right? That's how it works out. But right now, they're very much, in fact, I never forget, I had a man tell me there were no Bible. I said, no demons. I gave him some verses and something, sent him home to study. He came back and said, Pastor, there are demons. I said, I know. The way I know is I read it right here. But people say, well, you know, this is not talking about the enemy. But look at the context. They said demons are subject to us. Jesus said you can trample on serpents and scorpions. What did we say serpents were? What was the serpent? Yeah, right? And scorpions, what are scorpions? And then he goes on to say, all the power of the enemy, nothing will hurt you. And then he says this, don't rejoice in this, that the spirits. So here's the context. Demons, serpents, scorpions, enemy, spirits. Well, what are serpents and scorpions? They're demons and evil spirits. These, I mean, it's in context. It's Jesus talking. Are you with me? And But what's the message? Listen, what's the message? 
I have authority over them. And it's really not that big a deal. It just comes with being born again. Do you see that? Now look at, look at Luke 10, verse 21, because this is what cracks me up. Then Jesus said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven, that you have hidden these things. Well, what are these things? Authority over demons. He said, you've hidden these things from the wise and prudent and revealed them to babes. Here's what he's saying. Some of the smartest people can't even see this because it's spiritual. And they're, they're, they're looking at everything intellectually. You know, some of the smartest people in the world are atheists. Right? And, and when I have people say, you know, they're very smart. Well, pastor, I've studied and I know and there are no demons. I'm like, uh-huh, and they're talking to you right now. Because if I were a demon, I wouldn't want you to believe that I existed. Because then I could rape and pillage and do everything that I want to do. And you'd think it's your husband's fault or your wife's fault or somebody else's fault. And you'd be fighting flesh when we don't wrestle with flesh and blood. But principalities and powers and rulers of darkness. Are you with me? You got time for one more verse? Half of you do. Deuteronomy 7.22. Let me show you this. It'd take me one minute. Deuteronomy 7.22. And the Lord your God will drive out those nations before you little by little. Look at this. And you will, be una- you will be unable to destroy them at once, lest the beasts of the field become too numerous. Look at that beast of the field. What we say beast of the field were? The enemy, right? What I want you to understand from Deuteronomy is talking about the promised land. And a lot of people say the promised land is when we get to heaven. And you need to know allegorically, again, exegeting allegorically, the promised land is actually the victorious Christian life. That's actually what it is. There, and how do I know? Because there, no, there are no enemies in heaven. And he just said I had to drive out the enemies little by little or the beast of the field would be too numerous. Well, there are no demons in heaven and there are no enemies in heaven. So the promised land can't be heaven. It has to be a picture of the overcoming Christian life. And so what is, what is the promise here? The promise is God's saying, you know what? As you walk with me, we're going to drive the enemy out of what I've promised you. In other words, what I promised you, the enemy sets up shopping. The marriage I promised you, the family I promised you, the business I promised you, the destiny I promised you, the calling I promised you, the health I promised you, what, what the Bible promised me, that I'm the head and not the tail, I'm above only, not beneath him. Blessed in blessed the field. Above all, I'm going to prosper and be in health. He's given me power to gain wealth. You know, all these things, bless the Lord for getting all his benefits, who forgives all my iniquity and heals all my diseases. All these things he's promised me, he said, the enemy will come and try to make you think you can't have them. He'll come and try to make you think they're really his. And here's what he said. You can't take it over all at once. There's too much. But here's what you do. If you walk with me in obedience, put your step with my step and follow me. I will lead you into everything I promise. And the gates of hell borrowing from the New Testament cannot prevail. In other words, God's people are on the offensive because we have authority and the enemy is on the defensive because he has no authority and he's squatting or he's set up shop in stuff that belongs to you. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, the blood of Jesus, and the Word of God, we walk into tomorrow, into our destiny, into our future, and we take everything God's promised. Are you with me? So the Bible is a spiritual book that reveals a spiritual enemy, but it prophesies we have spiritual victory. Are you with me? And that's why we study it, so I know. I know who who I am, and I know whose I am. And I know what's against me, and I know how to win. Come on, somebody. Can you give Jesus praise today? (laughs) Why don't you stand with me? 
I'm going to ask our prayer team to come, and we end all of our worship experiences with a time of prayer. For anybody who needs prayer, we would love to pray with you if you need prayer. And it can be for anything. Maybe you need encouragement. You know, maybe you're walking through something. I just don't, I want you to take advantage of prayer because we believe what we know from our experience. When we pray together, God moves and God works. And so I just want you to take it. Or if you need, maybe you need a relationship with God today. And you just say, man, I sit in this service. I realize I really need to know this God, not just know about him. We want to pray with you. Let's bow our heads. God, we just thank you for this time together in your presence, God, for the word of God, which shows us so much and teaches us so much. And Lord, it shows us how to win, teaches us how to win. Lord, we want to live by the word of God. Let's take just a moment with our heads bowed and one's looking around. But just take a moment and ask God what he's saying to you. What he's saying to you. God, just do that where you're at. Just take a moment and say, God, what are you saying to me today? I believe. In fact, I know God still speaks. We talked about that we're the sheep of his pastor. John 10 says his sheep hear his voice. So today we can hear God. You can hear God. So, God, I just pray that you'd speak to us. Let, I don't want anyone to leave, Lord, without hearing a word from you. So, God, we pray you'd speak to us. Lord, I pray today that you would draw anyone to the front for prayer who needs a relationship with you. Just don't let them be able to leave. Let them come forward, God, and, and start that relationship with you. To be born again. Be forgiven. Be made new. Lord, I pray anyone else who needs a prayer need that you would draw them, you would meet them, and God, that your power would transform their situation. God, we thank you that you're our God. We're your people, and we are the sheep of your pasture. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Come on, can you give Jesus praise one more time in God's house today? Listen, if you need prayer, we would love for you to come. We'd love to pray with you. If you're online and you need prayer, you can text my pathway prayer to 94,000. We'd love to pray with you. Everyone else, we say a big God bless you. Hope to see you at prayer tomorrow or later throughout the week. If nothing else, next weekend, be safe. If you're traveling, we love you. God bless you. Hey, Pastor Marty here from Pathway Church. And I just want to say thank you for joining us. And I want to encourage you to get connected and stay connected. And there's several ways you can do that. Number one, you can download the Pathway app and we are all the time offering resources and information on that app for you. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel. And if you do, make sure you click the bell so that you never miss any life-giving and life-changing content as we add it to the channel. And then also, uh, make sure you follow us on social media, on Instagram, on Facebook. Look, our hope and heart for you is that you walk in the purpose for which God made and created and redeemed you for. We love to connect people to purpose. We thank you for giving us this opportunity. And if you're ever in Longview or you are in Longview, I'd love to invite you to join us in person each weekend. Listen, I pray God's best for your life. I believe if you follow Jesus, your best is ahead.